You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your go-to podcast on all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a longtime Marlins writer, as well as the founder of JustBaseball.com. In today's episode, we're going to talk about Edward Cabrera finally getting called up. Super exciting to get Edward Cabrera back into the fold here, but now at the big league level. We saw him a little bit in spring training. We saw him a little bit in some instances. Obviously, delayed start to the minor league season for him with an injury. Now, he's going to make his big league debut on Wednesday. We've been saying for a while he's ready to go. We've known he's ready to go, and here he is. So it's going to be a blast to see him debut against the Nationals. Also, Pablo Lopez on the mend. That is some good news as well. And the Marlins have a series coming up against a struggling Nationals team. The Marlins are obviously struggling more than they are, uh, given that they've lost seven straight, I believe it is. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yep, correct, seven as I look at their schedule. So, Not ideal, but you know what? At this point, how the team performs as a whole is not really as important as how the individual players are performing. For example, if Jesus Lazardo goes six innings, no walks, 10 Ks today, and the Marlins lose... I would take that over the Marlins winning, Lizardo getting knocked around, but uh, the Fish were able to outperform the Nationals offense by scoring eight runs off of Eric Fede or Fede or whatever. That would be a preferred outcome for me. So if we're looking at it from that lens, right, wins and losses at this point don't really matter, which is a shame because that shouldn't be the case. And I always want to win. And if I was on the field, I would feel differently, right? If I'm playing, obviously I'm going to say I want to win every day out. Every single one of those guys out there wants to win every single game that they're out there. They're competitors. But from a standpoint of development, I'd rather watch Lazardo pitch well and the Marlins lose than he gets shelled and the Marlins end up scoring runs and winning anyways, despite him getting shelled. I think you got to look at it that way, right? We're looking at it storyline-wise. How does Edward Cabrera look when he comes up? Is he going to have some strong starts down the stretch here? Eliezer Hernandez, can he continue to put together some strong starts and finish strong going into the offseason to boost his trade value or just to have a better outlook going into 2022? Same story with Zach Thompson. Those are the things I'm looking at. How is Jesus Sanchez going to hit down the stretch here? Can he stay healthy? Is Peyton Burdick going to get the call-up? Those little things, that's what's more important. I I think you got to look at the individual storylines and the call up of Edward Cabrera is a good reminder to just look at those individual storylines. The reason why I'm mentioning that is I saw a lot of rumblings on Twitter of people kind of hitting their breaking point with this Marlins team. Understandable. But for me, nothing has changed from now that they've lost seven straight versus a month ago. The season was over a month ago. The season's over now. And whether they win a majority of their games, like I said, or they lose almost every single game, not much changes for me because I know that a large portion of these players may not be a part of the ball club next year. We know they're going to make some major changes. And do I care if Joe Panic comes through in the clutch? I mean, yes, it's fun. I want to see the Marlins win ball games, but again, I know that it doesn't have any bearing on next year. If Joe Panic goes five for five, it doesn't have a bearing on next year. So I'm really focused on uh, the future. And I know we're tired of hearing that as well, but that's where we have to be at this point, right? Like the Marlins aren't making the playoffs. And if you're going to continue to root for this team, which I would hope you would, uh, and I think that this team in this front office deserves one more offseason to really see what direction they're going in. And I think there's going to be a level of urgency from this Marlins team this offseason. Uh, obviously, this past offseason was one that 
they did not have a chance to do that because of some financial restrictions. Obviously, the Corey Dickerson contract tied their hands behind their back. Also, you had to deal with the pandemic and I don't know if all teams were affected as badly as some of the small market teams, but we know the Marlins were. And uh, I always cite the Orioles trying to defer three, four million dollar contracts of Trey Mancini and Anthony Santander as a testament to the fact that some teams were really in trouble. If the Orioles are trying to defer $3 million deals, uh, you know that they're really in trouble. And that was exactly the case with the Marlins, too. I think they were really uh, tight money-wise, financially. And uh, now we're going to see them a bit more flexible, given that Corey Dickerson's off the books, given that they have been able to clear up some money, that they've been able to get the TV deal, naming rights, all those good things. And they have some other controllable pieces that won't be expensive anytime soon. But they're also going to need to figure out how they're going to extend Sandy Alcantara, which is something I want to talk about, because I have mentioned this on Twitter as well is that, and for those who aren't on Twitter, that's why I always like to bring up the points again on here. Sandy Alcantara, that's somebody you have to lock up. There's no excuse, especially after you let Starling Marte walk or trade him, essentially. Uh, You have to, have to sign Sandy Alcantara to an extension. Yes, I know that the Marlins have a wealth of young starting pitching at the big league level and in the minors. I understand that. But with Sandy Alcantara, there's two really important factors here that make him a very important piece to lock up. One is that he's consistent. Yes, he has some blow-up starts, so does every pitcher in the world, but he is wildly consistent. And honestly, until this year, he had never really had those blow-up starts the previous two seasons or season and a half. He's really just had a couple bad starts against the Dodgers, and that's been mostly at one other team. I forget who. Uh, But with Sandy Alcantara... You can almost pencil him in for a low 3ZRA, at worst a mid-3ZRA, and maybe even better than that, and just a ton of innings. Good bet to hit 200 innings, low 3ZRA, and get a ton of ground balls and give you more quality starts than anybody else in your rotation and among the most quality starts in baseball. He goes deep into games. That is really important. The other side of it is that He has not had knock on wood. He has not had any injuries of note uh, in his big league career. He's been able to stay healthy. It's because his mechanics are so smooth. There's not a lot of effort in his delivery, and he has been durable. That is important. We look at Pablo Lopez, continuously banged up. Eliezer Hernandez, continuously banged up. Sixto Sanchez, continuously banged up. Edward Cabrera injury history as well. So if you see all those guys with injury history, lock up your horse, lock up the Iron Man that has been staying healthy and has been eating up innings, even if he's not your true, true ace in terms of getting 12Ks per nine and a low two ZRA. I will take a guy that's going to give me 200 innings, a ton of quality starts and have that low three ZRA any day of the week, especially when you know what you're getting. So that's what I wanted to talk about with Alcantara. I think that's somebody that you have to have to extend. I think that they have the money, you know, at this point, especially with your letting Starling Marte go, even more so than there's no excuse to extend this guy. And I, and I hope the Marlins do it, especially when you have so many other controllable young pieces, right? You're not going to have to pay some of those other arms anytime soon. You're not going to have to pay Edward Cabrera, Sixto Sanchez anytime soon. You don't even have to pay Pablo necessarily anytime soon. You don't have to pay Jesus Lizardo if he settles into the rotation. He's got a ton of control. Max Meyer, Jake Eater, you name it. All those guys are going to come with a ton of control. So go pay your pitcher. You're not going to have to go into free agency too much. Maybe you want to add one veteran. I don't think you need to because Sandy can be that veteran for you at this point. I know it's crazy to call a 25-year-old going on 26 a veteran, but that's what he is at this point. You know what you're getting. He's consistent. 
and he is fearless out there on the mound. And I have all the faith in Sandy in the biggest spots. And we saw that a little bit last year. So that's all I wanted to say on that. I also have to talk about Miggy. I just wrote an article on JustBaseball.com kind of just talking about his career and, you know, everything he meant to me as a kid uh, coming up through the Marlins system, right? He comes up in 2003. That's really when I first started watching the team. I was born in 97. Uh, Yes, I'm 24 years old. And so my memories are a little bit vague World Series time. But, you know, they really kick in around that time where they beat the Yankees. And then after that, 2004, 2005, I vividly remember everything with the Marlins and onward from there, uh, the good, the bad and everything in between. And, you know, Miguel Cabrera getting traded was one of those things that I, I always joke Marlins uh, being a Marlins fan throughout my childhood years and throughout the Gloria era and all of those things. It made me resilient for sure. I think it's it's allowed me to get through some tough things because as a kid, seeing D Train and Miggy go, I'd, I forget how old I was. I guess I was eight, nine years old at the time, nine years old. Oh my gosh, it ripped my heart out to see Miggy and, and Dontrell go. Uh, and I always just kind of gravitated towards Miggy. And as I wrote about in the article that uh, is titled Miguel Cabrera Hitting in Its Purest Form, you know, I grew up in Little League. I wanted to just yank and crush every ball pull side, like every kid in the world, right? You just want to hit the ball as hard and as far as you can. And Miggy did that, but he didn't go pull side every time. He didn't just yank. He didn't have a lack of approach. He wasn't swinging out of his shoes. And I wanted to hit like Miggy more than I wanted to pull a ball down the left field line as a righty and, and hit it out of the park, right? So for me, I wanted to shoot the ball the other way. I wanted to hit the ball to all fields, not even knowing how hard it was, just because I saw Miggy do that. I saw Miggy let the ball travel and hit a line shot into right center. I saw him go to dead center or wait on a breaking ball and unload on it. And of course, react to the fastball inside. And I almost learned the art of hitting a little bit without even knowing I was learning it just by watching Miguel Cabrera because he was so pure and still is, but such a pure hitter that does things that you don't really see. It's it's a lost art in today's game. And uh, that was something that is not a surprise to me that you see Miguel Cabrera now at 500 home runs and a career batting average over 310. There's only five players that hit both of those thresholds and it's pretty good company. Ted Williams, 344 career hitter, obviously more than 500 home runs. Babe Ruth, 342 career hitter, obviously more than 500 home runs. Jimmy Fox, 325 career hitter, ton of homers. Manny Ramirez, 314 hitter, ton of homers. And then Miguel Cabrera, 311 hitter. Hopefully he can keep that average above 310 and obviously just hitting 500 homers. What a group. Ted Williams, Babe Ruth, Jimmy Fox, Manny Ramirez, Miguel Cabrera. That is a special group. And not only that, he almost had back-to-back triple crowns. If it weren't for Chris Davis hitting 59 jacks, then Miguel Cabrera would have had it again. And nobody else has ever won back-to-back triple crowns. That's also crazy. And I don't think people realize. I mean, maybe they do realize, but I don't think it's talked about enough. Miguel Cabrera winning the triple crown in 2012. That had not been done since 1967. 1967. 45 years of something not being done. It was last done by Carl Yaskremski. And then you have somebody like Miguel Cabrera doing it in the modern age. Just unbelievable. One of the best to ever do it. Top 20 hitter of all time. And one of the best hitters of this generation, other than Albert Pujols and now Mike Trout, I would not really take a right-handed hitter in the modern era over Miguel Cabrera. And it's been really fun to watch him just continue to 
dominate. I know he's not doing it as much now, but watching him through his entire career and just now he's doing the victory lap in a way of just cashing in on all of those milestones. While he may not be playing at the level that he once was, he is just getting to those last little marks, whether he's playing at a 330, 30 home run clip or hitting 250 with 15 home runs. He's so close to all of those big thresholds that we're seeing him kind of walk his way across the finish line, which he has earned more than uh, to be able to do. And now we have 3,000 hits on the horizon. He's 45 away. And that'll be kind of that last check mark for him in terms of just solidifying what is one of the greatest careers of all time. So a tip of the cap to Miggy. You played a huge part in my childhood, huge part in my love for the game. Uh, The Marlins trading him is probably one of the worst moves in baseball history. And, you know, I can lament on that, but I want to focus more on the positives, which is Miguel Cabrera having a hard-earned and well-deserved phenomenal career and just finishing right now, putting those finishing touches on it and such a fun player to be able to watch. So I'm going to talk about Edward Cabrera's debut, what this means for the fish, what to expect, and also the series ahead against the Nationals before the Marlins host the Reds, who obviously just made quick work of them and the Reds are really trying to make a push here. I just wrote an article about why I think they can make the postseason, and it looks like they're going to. I'm sure they're amped to get three more against the Marlins. This time it'll be on the road for them, which is a little bit tougher. They obviously hit great at home. So I'm going to talk about the Nat series, a little bit about the Reds coming up, and then we will probably wrap it up there. But I also wanted to give a shout-out to my buddy Ethan Bukowski, who wrote a phenomenal piece on my friend Griffin Conine and uh, over at fishstripes.com. Check that out. A great, well-written piece in an interview with Griff that I think you'll really enjoy and helps you get to know him a little bit more. But great job by Ethan over there. A lot to be proud of on that piece. Getting to all of those topics in a moment. Before I get there, a reminder that this episode is brought to you in part by Freshly. Dinner time can be chaotic, but with Freshly, it's easy. Their chefs take care of your meals a few nights a week and take the pressure off of you. We're all trying to get in shape and eat right, and Freshly can help. Their delicious meals are designed by nutritionists, cooked by chefs, making it easier to eat better. Freshly offers chef-made, nutrient-packed, delicious meals delivered fresh to your door, no cooking required. Grocery shopping and cooking can be a pain, especially right now, and with Freshly, you don't have to. Your meals arrive cooked and fresh every week, so you can keep them in your fridge, stocked, and skip the trip to the store. Ordering is easy. You just visit Freshly.com and choose from their over 30 delicious and satisfying, better-for-you meals like steak peppercorn, sausage-baked penne, or even a chicken pesto bowl. They can fit your lifestyle with a variety of plans and meals to pick from that work for your dietary needs, preferences, tastes, and family size. And now, our listeners can try Freshly for just $6.16 per meal. Stop searching the internet for healthy food near me every night when you can just start living life freshly. Right now, Freshly is offering our listeners $40 off your first two orders when you go to freshly.com slash locked on. That's freshly.com slash locked on for $40 off your first two orders. Stop stressing about dinner. Go to freshly.com backslash locked on for $40 off your first two orders. Also brought to you in part by Wealthfront. Day trading can be a lot of fun, but if you want to grow your long-term wealth and make it as far as you can and make as much money as you can, you should open up 
a Wealthfront investment account today. Decades of data show that investors who trade individual stocks underperform the market every single year. In fact, only 1% of day traders beat the market. The odds are not in your favor if you're doing it alone. Team up with Wealthfront instead. Wealthfront can create a portfolio of globally diversified, low-cost index funds personalized just for you in minutes. No manual trades, no picking stocks, no watching the stock market every day. They automatically handle all of the investing based on preferences you control. Wealthfront can even help you lower your taxes you pay as you invest. For the average client, their tax loss harvesting can more than cover the low annual 0.25% advisory fee. Best of all, it's automatic. Wealthfront is trusted with over $20 billion of assets, and you can get your first 5,000 managed for free by going to wealthfront.com slash locked on MLB. That's 5,000 managed for free by going to wealthfront.com slash locked on MLB. That's W E A L. T-H-F-R-O-N-T dot com slash locked on MLB to start growing your savings. Let's talk about growing, but in the form of the Marlins pitching staff now, which is Edward Cabrera set to make his debut on Wednesday. And Cabrera has been spectacular since returning from injury. And he has started in low A where he made his rehab stint and Six innings, just dice dudes up. So they call him up to double A as he was ready to go, which is where he was always going to start anyways. So then he goes to double A. And man, was he good there too. 33 Ks in 26 innings, only walks six. And that's important there. Remember, he only walks six. Doesn't give up a ton of contact, 19 hits in 26 innings. So he was just dominant through those five starts. 0.96 whip. Then he goes to triple A. And in triple A, he got even more swings and misses. So where in double A, he was averaging about 11 and a half Ks per nine. In triple A, he's averaging nearly 15 strikeouts per nine, which is outrageous. That would more than lead the big leagues by a good margin if he was qualified and continued to do that over a larger sample size. The drawback here in AAA is that his walk rate jumped a bit. It's not worth freaking out about because he made six starts in AAA. So you make two good starts, you go five, six innings, you don't walk anybody in each of those starts, and all of a sudden your walk rate's back to where it was before. But he went from walking 2.1 batters per nine to walking nearly six batters per nine in those six starts. 29 to thirds innings in AAA. 22 hits, 19 walks, 48 Ks. So the Ks are there. He's dicing guys up, but he's also walking guys. And he's also giving up four home runs, which is not as bad four home runs in 29 and a third. I'd rather it be a little bit less, obviously. It'd either be zero. Uh, that's obviously the best option. But I'm not too worried about him giving up home runs, especially in Marlins Park. Here's the thing. The walks are interesting for one reason, just because AAA, there's one thing that I've learned from talking to minor leaguers, and they say that the zone, even from low A to double A, doesn't change that much, which was actually news to me. Obviously a little bit different now because of the automatic strike zone or automated strike zone in low A that's not used in the upper levels, but the general point remains consistent here is that the strike zone remains pretty consistent. But when you make the jump from double A to triple A, not only are the players a step away from the big leagues, but the umpires are really close too. And for the umpires, that is maybe one of the more clear things as you go double A, triple A. Sometimes you got better prospects baseball wise in double A than triple A. With umpires, it's a pretty clear ladder and their zone becomes much closer to the big league zone in triple A. And that is something that could affect pitchers, no doubt. And for Edward Cabrera, who might have been getting an inch or two off the plate, maybe not getting that as much now. And how is that affecting him? Well, it's not affecting him in terms of giving in and giving up contact. It's not affecting him in terms 
terms of not getting the strikeouts because he's still getting he's getting more strikeouts. Where it's affecting him is I think he's at times, you know, just losing hitters because he's not being able to steal those strikes a couple inches off the plate. So how is he going going to adjust to that at the big league level? Because there's no way, there's no way you can get away with walking six per nine. But the point is, too, here is that I'm not going to put too much stock into it because he was just adjusting to the tighter zone. That's really what it, what it looks like to me. And when you consider that, I think it's good that he was able to get his feet wet there. But why not have him adjust at the big league level at this point, right? There, there's no reason to not have him adjust to the tighter zone at the big league level because I think that's something that he will continue to work out. And I, and I think he already has a little bit. His first couple outings, he goes four walks, three walks, four walks, but now in his last outing, he had his best appearance in AAA so far, walking just two. So we'll see how he builds off of that. Clearly, the Marlins saw something in that last outing to say, hey, I think he's ready to go at the big league level and see what he can do. So far, he hasn't gone more than six innings in AAA, uh, so that should be something worth watching. He actually hasn't gone more than six innings in the entire minor league season so far. I know the Marlins are going to You'll keep it pretty light with him, though he did finally go over the century mark in pitches three outings ago. So he finally was able to start to work that that pitch count up. He was hovering more in the 70 to 80 range before that, and now up to 104, and then two outings ago, 98, and then one outing ago through 86. So I think that the pitch count for him will be somewhere around the 80 to 90 range. I doubt they'll put him up to triple digits since it'll be a little bit more high stress no matter what the situation is, just given that it's his first start. But we'll see how much the Marlins try to stretch him out there. I think the one thing to really watch with Cabrera is this, is just the the command, right? And, and the command has come along so far over the last couple of years that I'm not too worried about it. The fastball is electric. The changeup is a 70-grade pitch. And now we're seeing the breaking ball really play up too. In my opinion, before this season, I thought Edward Cabrera was the better pitching prospect. I have my concerns about Sixto Sanchez's ability to get swings and misses. And I have my concerns about Sixto Sanchez's work ethic. You look at somebody like Edward Cabrera, the swings and misses have always, always been there. I love Max Meyer, and I think he's had a phenomenal, phenomenal year, and he's right up there at the top of the Marlins system. But for my money, I'm going Edward Cabrera as the best pitching prospect in this system. He's 6'5". It's pretty effortless from him, and the stuff is crazy. Meyer has been phenomenal, but Edward Cabrera, in my opinion, has the type of stuff that could be a frontline starter type and also has the body for it too. So really excited to see how he continues to develop. But it has been a great year for him since returning from injury and excited to see how he pitches at the big league level. Looking at the series for the Marlins ahead, it's going to be an interesting one because the Marlins have Lizardo going again. And I wanted to talk about Lizardo a little bit too because I see people getting increasingly frustrated with Jesus Lizardo. And I can understand that. One, because you have Starling Marte who you along with every other Marlins fan, wanted to see the Marlins extend. And now he's playing in Oakland like the superstar he was playing like in Miami. He's been one of the best players in baseball over the last 150 games. There's really no way around it. You look at war, he's been up there with anybody. And it's tough. But I do still like the move for the Marlins. And I think to judge this move off of this year, guess what? Starling Marte is going to be a free agent after this season. And maybe the Marlins have a crack at him. We'll see. I don't think they'll be able to, to afford him because he's just continuing to play amazing now for a contending team. But with Lizardo, to make any conclusions, to come away with any sort of idea of what you think he can be after his struggles right now, I think is a bit ridiculous. I also think it's ridiculous to roll him out there every single day. This isn't like Jared Kelnick and the Mariners with the Mariners right now who can get 
a lot of just experience and valuable experience with the at-bats that he's getting. I actually think that Kelnick should maybe get moved out of the lineup a little bit more, but how are you going to send that guy to AAA at this point? Because he's been raking in AAA. It's a little bit of that in-between type of scenario here. He's not figuring it out at the big leagues yet. The Mariners are in the middle of a playoff race. Otherwise, I would be like, hey, just let Kelnick go out there and play. If Kelnick was with the Marlins right now, I would say let him go out there and just just continue to get his at-bats, get experience, and work it out. With Jesus Lizardo, His issue is not really getting guys out in terms of swings and misses, in terms of the sheer quality of his stuff. What the issue is with Lizardo is Lizardo. He's the only guy that's holding him back from becoming what he can be. The stuff is big league plus across the board. The curveball's insane. He throws a fastball in the upper 90s with sync to it as a lefty. And the changeup has looked good too. I mean, this is a guy with a ridiculous arsenal. He just can't command it right now. And it seems very mechanical. You look at his mechanics are extremely inconsistent. His arm and his release point are inconsistent. And I think a lot of that traces back to his shoulder injuries that have probably hampered him in some ways that he doesn't even know. You know, when you have those shoulder injuries, you adapt, you change your arm slot, and you don't really know it. Your body kind of goes into survival mode and you start throwing in ways that just works for you, but that may not allow you to repeat your mechanics well, to repeat your release point. And it seems like that's what he's struggling with. Right now, I don't know if at the major league level, playing pitching for the former team that you grew up with, which is pressure in itself, even if it's not in these competitive games, at the major league level, that's just a different animal. And right now with the struggles that he's having command-wise, I just don't know if it's fair to him and if it's the right way to have him develop right now at the big league level, just continuing to go out there and struggle. I would say that we see how this start goes, uh, how how the next start goes for him. And then the Marlins can make a decision from there, given that it's only been a a couple starts at this point. But I do think that if he struggles to throw strikes in this one, that you have to start thinking, okay, maybe it's better to just put him in a controlled environment in AAA where there's no pressure at all to win. Not that the Marlins should have pressure to win, but the big leagues is a different animal. And just continue to work on those mechanics and make those tweaks in game. I think that might be something that he needs to do. I think he's going to really work it out and iron it out in the offseason. It is so hard to make mechanical improvements between stars. I think that's really a tall task. And I still have all the confidence in the world in Jesus Cesardo. I think he's going to be a stud. And I think he was a great piece to be able to get. But the Marlins definitely have a bit of a project here, given that his command has been inconsistent. And I just don't know if this is the best way to go about it. We'll have to see after this start. If he makes some strides, then uh, maybe you you keep going. Uh, But if he does struggle, I think we definitely have to consider the fact that uh, he might need to go to AAA and work in a more controlled environment. That second game will be Edward Cabrera. Third game should be Eliezer Hernandez. And the Marlins have three fun starters in this one. Three guys who you can watch with intent. And that's the important thing, right? Indifference is the worst thing ever. If it's somebody that has no bearing on the Marlins future that's pitching, uh, then it's not going to be fun or hitting. And there's some guys in the lineup that may not have a bearing on the Marlins future, but that's an entirely different point. But when we look at the the rotation right now, I want to watch Jesus Cesardo. I want to see how he does because he's a big part of the future potentially. I want to see how Edward Cabrera does. I even want to see how Eliezer Hernandez and Zach Thompson do. So that's going to be fun. Uh, The problem here too for Lizardo in this matchup is surprisingly the Nationals have actually been the best team in baseball against left-handed pitchers. So we'll see how Lizardo rises to that occasion there. The curveball should help him a ton because that works against righties and lefties. The Marlins are probably going to get a mix of either Eric Fide, Josiah Gray, potentially Pat Corbin, uh, all guys that they should be able to get to. Josiah Gray is actually one of my favorite pitching prospects in baseball. 
I don't think he's an ace, but I think he's a guarantee to be a number three and has an upside of a number two. And it'll be fun to kind of see him. I think he's going to be somebody that you'll have to get acquainted with because he's going to be around for a while and he's going to be a fixture in this Nationals rotation for the foreseeable future. I still think that was a pretty wild trade uh, given that they got Kiebert Ruiz and Josiah Gray for Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. I think the return was still a little bit light, uh, but you know, if you're a Marlins fan, you're, you're fine with that, right? Trey Turner is now out of the division, top three shortstop in baseball. You don't have to worry about as much, uh, and the Nationals are in a pretty bad spot too. This is two teams uh, in a rebuild mode that are squaring off, and at this point for the Marlins, it's all about the storylines, like I said. So plenty of storylines to follow in this series, no doubt about it. Last thing I wanted to wrap up with here is, of course, Griffin Conine. Two more home runs in that game on Sunday, putting him just six shy of 40 now. And this is a pretty special club if he hits 40 that there's only been six prospects since 2000 to hit 40 home runs in a single season. You got Ryan Howard in 2003. You've got Brandon Wood, who did not totally pan out in 2005, who hit 42 homers. Howard hit 46 in 2003. Joey Gallo hit 40 homers in 2013, who I think is a really good comp for Griffin. And then Chris Bryant, 46 homers in 2014. Dylan Cousins, who ended up leaving baseball to go pursue a football career, professional football career, if I'm not mistaken, with the Phillies. He hit 40 home runs in 2016. And Griffin Conine has 34 with 24 to go. Also, Dallas McPherson had 40 home runs back in 2006, I believe. He also had 42 home runs with the Marlins, but I'm not counting that because he had already had a couple years of big league experience at that point. So a good group there. Obviously, you have two players that didn't pan out and three players that were superstars or are superstars in their own respect. So if Griffin Conine is anywhere between the two of those, uh, you're going to be pretty happy there. And I think you got to be satisfied with that. Obviously, the strikeout rate is something worth watching. But when you're hitting home runs at the rate that he's hitting, he's also a very intriguing candidate uh, to be a big part of the Marlins future as well. And he plays great defense in the corner among the league leaders in all of the minors in outfield assists as well and can play right and left. But how about Peyton Burdick? Peyton Burdick has been absolutely locked in and he is playing his way into top 100 consideration for us at JustBaseball.com. I can tell you that because we were pretty close to solidifying this list and now as I just continue to watch Peyton Burdick hit, it's really hard to justify not putting him in the top 100. I mean, what is he missing? He's hitting for power. He's walking a ton. He's cut the strikeouts down. I mean, there's just not much to make in terms of a case against him. It was the strikeouts, but when you walk at the rate that Peyton Burdick walks and the speed that he has and the power that he offers and the fact that he can play center, I always say no two strikeout rates are the same, right? Like a 30% K rate, I think Burdick's down now to 28, 29%. A 30% range K rate is not the same when one guy is walking 5% of the time, like Joe Adele, versus Peyton Burdick, who's walking 14 to 16% of the time. I'm more focused on K to BB versus just K rate. And I think that's something that should be more widespread. Peyton Burdick's last 30 games, which is just insane also. 288, 413, 538, slash line, seven homers, 15 driven in, four stolen bases, 33 Ks, 20 walks. Just fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And he's doing that while playing a a premium position in center field. He's an above average runner. I think that this is becoming very, very, very real with Peyton Burdick. Is he ever going to be a 300 hitter? Probably not. He's probably going to be more of a 250 hitter, 260 hitter, but he's going to get on base at a ridiculous clip. 
he gets on base at a 400 clip right now over his last 30 games with his walk rate he's going to continue to do stuff like that so I'm very excited about what we're seeing from Burdick and when you look at MLB Pipeline they just updated their their top prospect rankings for the Marlins somehow Burdick is still not in the top 10 uh that is just ridiculous uh it just doesn't make sense MLB Pipeline I think outside of the top 100 gets a bit lazy they also put a 55 grade on Griffin Conine's power what about Griffin Conine's power is 55 grade He's hitting the ball 450 plus feet. He's hitting the ball out to all parts of the park. 55. And then Nolan Jones is 60 grade power. Uh, It's just, sometimes it's just so arbitrary. I think JJ Bleday, he's someone that's slipping. And I look at where he slipped on Baseball Americas. And I I was very surprised to see him fall out of the top 100. But now a few weeks later, as we see him continue to struggle, it's starting to be a bit more understandable maybe. I still think it was knee-jerk, but... If he continues on these struggles down the stretch here over the last 24 games, and when you start to make your offseason top 100 list, yeah, it might be hard to justify putting J.J. Boyday in there. My problem is this, is he is not hitting for any power in terms of his exit velos. He's got 11 homers, but you look at some of the doubles, they die before they hit the wall, and, and I was able to dig up some, some data, and he's not hitting very many balls over 100 miles an hour. Uh, not as many as you'd think. I, you look at some of the other players, like Burdick, Conine, and some of the other players in the Marlins org, they are hitting it maybe five, six, seven times more frequently in the triple digits than Bladé is. That's definitely a concern because uh, even the pull side power has just not totally been there. He's not driving the ball with that much authority the other way. There's definitely some level of alarm uh, with Bladé here. And I think it's also just crazy at this point. What's the case for Bladé ahead of Burdick? They're the same age. Burdick is a better athlete. He plays center field. Bladé plays a corner. And we don't even, I don't even need to get to the offensive production. If they were producing the same exact numbers, I would still side with Burdick because he's a center fielder with above average to plus speed and walks a ton. But now we're talking about guys who are producing at totally different rates. Burdick's hitting for power and doing all the things I just mentioned. Boudet is struggling mightily. What's the case for Boudet over Burdick at this point? It's that MLB Pipeline puts a lot of stock into where a guy was drafted, puts a lot of stock into those types of things rather than what they're seeing now. And I think that's why we see some pretty janky, weird rankings from MLB Pipeline. So my case here is that I think J.J. Boudet should be maybe in the back end or just falling out of the top 100, but I also think that Burdick should be ahead of him. So by that logic, Burdick should be a top 100 guy, and that's why for me, he's either in or just outside, and you'll see in the coming week when we finalize this top 100 list for JustBaseball.com. So that'll do it for today's episode. I just wanted to talk a little bit about the farm. I wanted to talk about the games ahead, and this is going to be a crazy offseason, and the Marlins are going to be really busy, but a lot of storylines to follow now. We'll see how Jesus Sanchez continues. We'll see where on the field they decide to stick Jorge Alfaro. Who knows where he'll play next? Where's Alfaro has become the new fun game and storyline with the Marlins as well, uh, but I'm not going to get into that because this podcast will go 45, 50 minutes if I start talking about that, but you know where I feel or how I feel about the wonderful just utility use of Jorge Alfaro. But anyways, that'll do it for today's episode. I hope you have a great week and I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow.